if we don't regenerate the story of who we are and how we fit in, we begin to atrophy and to become rigid and we stop learning. To manifest my own unique gift to the world, my highest individual potential, I can only do so in the context of the next larger whole, the nested wholeness. Regenerative cultures are born out of living the questions together about how can we participate appropriately in this place? How can we be of service to ourselves, our families, and this place and the planet? Then, then what better place is there than a school to start that conversation? Hello, and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and this is another podcast in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News you can find on www.intrepidednews.com. There you'll find a bunch of really interesting articles from different uh, pedagogues and learners like Dan Vodichka, uh, Will Richardson, and, and plenty more, including myself, uh, as not only this podcast is being hosted there, but also blogs and articles that uh, we put up uh, on, on the site. Today's guest is Daniel Christian Vall. Daniel is an international consultant and educator specializing in biologically inspired whole systems design and transformative innovation. He's a biologist working closely with the University of Edinburgh and the University of California. He holds a master's in holistic science from Schumacher College and a PhD in design from the University of Dundee. And he's worked uh, with local and national governments on foresight and futures. He has um, uh, being a member of the International Futures Forum, a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts, co-founder of the Biomimicry Iberia, and brought pioneers, as he calls them, to Europe in 2010. And he currently works uh, as well for Gaia Education and the Smart UIB project uh, at the Universidad de las Islas Baleares. Um, I, I want to point out that the conversation with Daniel might not be typical from what you hear on education podcasts, but I like to think of this podcast as having a large education audience, but not being solely for education. We're trying to think in systems and understand that when we are looking at change uh, at the socioeconomic level, at the uh, ecological level, at the education level, it's all linked. And the interconnectedness of our lives also, of course, has to do with the interconnectedness of our organizations and structures. Daniel's views on learning are quite profound. They're quite deep. They're different from much of the narrative that we hear. And I really believe that this emphasis on regenerative culture and how it relates to sustainability, moving beyond sustainability, but still being anchored in sustainability uh, in order to uh, find common ground, uh, will be will be very valuable as we rethink uh, learning um, and we rethink the way that we organize ourselves uh, and move beyond school, uh, as we like to say. So if you like us, subscribe, leave us a great rating, and uh, I'll leave space for my conversation with Daniel. Well, hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We're really excited to hear about you. Uh, you post a tremendous amount of articles that are so rich um, regarding regeneration, regarding the environment, regarding the future of the planet. I'm really keen to get your views on regeneration and particularly the differences between regeneration and sustainability um, because I think that that's something that's not really talked about um, enough. But the first question I'll ask you is who are you, what are you passionate about, and how do you try to make a difference? Thanks for inviting me. Um, well, who am I? Um, life as a planetary process temporarily manifesting 
as a form of ape that is arrogant enough to call himself Homo sapiens, Homo sapiens, um, with an average lifespan of about eighty years. So yeah, I'm I'm a male human being, but I'm also um, something much larger than that. What are you passionate about? What are the things that 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 you get excited about that your your work is is um, it gears you towards? And those things that you are much more than, how, how do they come into play? Well, I'm, I've always been passionate about the oceans and, and the sea. Um, I used to be a marine mammal biologist. And um, I guess having grown up near the mountains and near the Mediterranean in the summers, um, I ended up on Mallorca because I'm passionate about this place where mountains and sea meet. And in a way, that's where nature is most vibrant at these edge effect places. So it's always been a love affair with, with more than human nature. Um, and, but I'm also passionate about um, education and um, how to help people find their unique contribution and, and make it um, to this wonderful, magnificent story that we're all part of and that we're far too seldom celebrate so yeah i i'm really uh, interested in this word contribution it's something that comes uh in in our podcast and in, in what we write about this idea of how we can contribute um but before we get to that i'll ask you how do you define learning that's a really tricky one <laughs> you even warned me you were going to ask that question and i still find it um uh, well the, the simple answer is it's what happens as we go on living um, another way of paraphrasing the, 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 the either you live and you le learn or you don't live very long. And, and there's, there's actually a lot of wisdom in that, like that, that we need to keep questioning what we think we know and stay current with context and um, direction in order to navigate our way into an uncertain future. Um, a future uncertain in the sense that I think to really embrace learning, you have to also embrace not knowing, um, accepting that there'll always be more to know that we can know. And that since we have to act on limited knowledge, we actually need a moral compass or a compass that um, integrates us into the context which sustains us. So, so for me, learning actually in and of itself has a regenerative or an ecological dimension. If we, if we don't um, regenerate the story of who we are and how we fit in, we begin to atrophy and to become rigid and we stop learning. So um, it's, it's an ongoing process of transformation. You've, uh, you're, you're making life easy for me because now we can bring into regeneration and sustainability. If, if I take your definition of learning and I change the word regenerate with sustain, sustain to me seems like it's a bit of a, uh, a, a status quo. Um, t t tell us a little bit about how you see the difference, uh, if there is one, or, or, or maybe it's, it's subtle, maybe it's, it's, it's pretty blatant, between regeneration and sustainability. And I ask specifically because uh, people talk a lot about sustainability, the sustainable development goals, but there's also this undercurrent, these words about regeneration. What are your views on the differences between the two? In 
the early 2000s, I was working on a PhD thesis that I thought was going to use a very large concept of design, design as the sort of transdisciplinary integrator that brought every stream of the, the Humpty Dumpty of education where we fractured everything into different knowledge categories um, together in order to apply it to be of service to people and planet, so to speak. And I thought it was going to be called Design for Sustainability. And, and as I was writing the, the PhD, I be, began to realize that the word sustain is, leaves us a little bit wanton with regard to what we're trying to sustain. So it leaves itself very open to being bastardized. So companies now talk about we're a sustainable company because we've sustained profits for the last three years in a row. Uh, and, and, uh, but at the same time, what I'm also, when you, when you juxtapose those two terms, sustainable and regeneration, the, the, I have learned a vast amount and I'm, continue to, I'm continuing to learn from people in Regenesis Group and Kara Sanford, who was on your podcast um, a few times ago. Um, the one edge that I don't like about that particular communication of regenerative development and, and, and regenerative is that in order to define more clearly what regenerative is, it tends to fall into the category of telling everybody else who uses other labels that they're not regenerative. And I actually believe that regenerative is powerful and not just another term that in 10 years is going to get replaced because it's bringing us back to something much more fundamental. Um, I had a conversation with Fritjof Kapra, which is on YouTube, um, where, where we got to a point where we converged on agreeing that really life is a nested regenerative community, that the pattern of life itself is regeneration. And um, so that's very aligned with, with Carol Sanford but, and, and, and Regenesis um, in, in terms of that it's a process of evolution, of ongoing development, of learning, of not standing still. But I, I find it really useful to think of regeneration as um, in, in the terms they define, but also understand that sustainability is a bridge we haven't crossed yet that it's not some sort of outdated system that we can now leave. Um, you need to talk to people where they're at and not where you want them to be. A lot of the regenesis language is a little bit intentionally, a little bit um, forcing people to slow down and question and, and really begin to slow down enough to become aware of their own mental models and try out other ones. Very well structured, very useful. And I believe if we if we make the entry point into this conversation really difficult, then um, their theory of change is better have a conversation with a small group of people that really get it than have a larger conversation. But, but since the genie is out of the box, the term is now being conversed. I think it helps to position sustainability as a bridge we haven't crossed yet um, engage with people who are still wanting to implement the sustainable development goals and support them, but support them to do so in a regenerative way. And what would that mean? It would mean to do so in such a way that in the process of working on the SDGs at the local or bioregion or national or global level, you aim to build the capacity of everyone, whatever you're doing, touches the individuals and the community to keep 
working and innovating and responding and transforming. You don't offer fixed solutions that just need to be implemented and scaled up like the, the classic knee-jerk response. Like one, one of the things I learned from, from Regenesis that I think does distinguish how people work on sustainability, which a lot of people in the sustainability space, most of the conversation around COP26 coming up in Glasgow now is about solutioneering, is about we've got a problem, let's fix it. What solutions can we implement, finance, scale up? And yes, we've got a problem and it's urgent and we do need maybe even let them continue that approach, but we need a much deeper conversation. Um, and that is about potential. And, and one of the lessons I learned through Regenesis and, and Carol's work is this, the way to, to unfold potential is by making it place sourced, where place can be fractal in the sense that sometimes it's local, sometimes it's regional, sometimes it's larger, but, but it needs to be a conversation with a real place and the people in it. And it's about the potential of that place and the potential of all the people. And it's about getting out of the way enough to listen to the story of that place, to bring out the uniqueness of all of that. And that's how you make life more vital to bring out like what what in in, in the vedanta is called savodaya the rising of the all and um, it's the same process it's just trying to vitalize life and the, rather than fixing it into fixed solutions is working with the capacity to keep evolving then it's it's literally like in christian terms it's like not teaching giving people fish but teaching them how to fish and 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 that's what i think the the shift that we we as we shift more towards a regenerative approach to sustainability, one thing maybe to let go of is the narrative that always portrays the transition, which even the transition term, which is great, eh? or the, the great transition, Joanna Macy's wonderful term, she, she, she's questioning that herself now because that mimetic framing makes us believe that we're somewhere and then we need to cross and then we'll live happily ever after once we've crossed and, and, and we're in that other state. And I think true understanding of regeneration as a living pattern is to understand that we'll never get there. It's a journey, wonderful. It's a journey of learning. That's where the link with, with learning is. Eh? That it's literally continuing to live in the understanding that to manifest my own unique gift to the world, my highest individual potential, I can only do so in the context of the next larger whole, the nested wholeness. And if I aid the next rings out to manifest their potential, I can truly manifest mine. Otherwise, I won't. And it's, it's that virtuous circle of learning to participate appropriately in nested complexity in full embracing of, of uncertainty and not knowing. Um, it's, it, it flies in the face of, of the scientific paradigm of prediction and control and solutions and engineering and, and roadmaps and, and indicators and all of that. And, and I'm not saying that, none, that all of that isn't important. That is also a way of holding, living the questions of, of navigating into an uncertain future. But, but the way that regeneration is different, and, and Kara Sanford 
very beautifully puts this with, with, with this, like she says, the four um, paradigms are operational um, at, at, at this point. Um, extract value, um, arrest disorder, um, do good. Most people think that do good is regeneration, net positive and all, all that is very popular now. Yeah? And that's great, but regeneration is build capacity or regenerate life. Uh, and and that's different. That that suddenly we're, we're going from outcome thinking and and product thinking to capacity building process and the ability to journey. And and for for me personally, that's very linked to health. Like the, in my in my PhD work, I suggested this this concept that any design decision should be following the question: Does it serve the health of the individual, the community, and the planet? Very simple sort of. Triethica, the, the the core of most indigenous wisdom is: Does it serve people, like the the person, the people, and the planet, worded in different ways? And um, and so, salutogenic design, health generating design. How do I create conditions conducive to health, but health understood not as a rigid, perfect state that we fall out of, then we treat symptoms, and then we snap back into it. But health understood as this capacity to continue learning, adapting, transforming, um, listening, and and being receptive to place, so we can become expressions of place. Because that's and I stopped there because I've had a big monologue. For me, increasingly, I'm beginning to understand that that while it sounds a bit like a floscal, it's really at the core of it, where we as human beings started to create narratives of being owners of place rather than narratives of being expressions of place. Things went pear-shaped and, 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 and surviving in the long term actually means finding a modern narrative that allows us to be expressions of place again. It, it seems, it reminds me of the old, the, the Buddhist story that you need a raft across the river to enlightenment, but once you're there, you get rid of the raft. You just don't need it anymore. Maybe it's those steps that take us through sustainability, getting people to think about it that way. Eventually, as you said, um, moving towards regeneration, which is still a very linear path. But once you get to regeneration, you don't need the linearity anymore. We can think more in terms of maybe cycles or other, other ways of conceptualizing the world. But we don't need those frameworks anymore once we start, as you said, to be to work within the place. Yes, but the, 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 the thing that I... I'm beginning to really understand more and more as I'm focusing on doing less and less international work and more and more local work and applying all this is we need to really embrace that people are at different places and we will never all agree on how to do this. So if, if we start there, if we start at how do we get this done without agreeing with each other? How, 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 how do we get this done with the maximum requisite variety in systems terms, maximum amount of diversity of perspectives and worldviews, but still get it done? And what is it done? Redesign the human impact on earth from being destructive, exploitative, and degenerative, and therefore not fit for future, to becoming what is our species right as a, as a species, because otherwise we wouldn't be here. We evolved because we were 
custodians of landscapes in the bioregions that we inhabited and that we co-evolved with. Um, regenerative cultures is nothing new. It's ancient. It's the journey that we came along for 99% of the time as human beings. And then we took a couple of wrong turns or right turns, fascinating, interesting turns. But now, if we don't understand that we need to pick up the baby we threw out with the bathwater, and that baby is indigenous knowledge, place-sourced knowledge, knowledge of how to fit in and, and how to be part of life, how to participate appropriately. But now we can put all of that ancient wisdom that is present in all the indigenous cultures around the planet into the context of modern complexity science and, and all of that and, and begin to understand through ecology and earth system science and Gaia theory that they were converging on, on, a, on a story powerful enough to re-enchant the universe, to make it not dead and consistent of atoms, but to make it full of meaning and meaning making. And, and I, th I think, yeah, we're, we're at, at the brink of that. Um, um, we have to. It's it's the rite of passage that that our possible species level extinction is forcing us into. We had uh, Joanne McKeegan uh, on the podcast, and she made a, a, a tremendous point that's so simple, but really shifted my thinking. Is that all these indigenous cultures that come from different places, whether you know they're in the modern space of New Zealand or or in North America, or South America, or wherever it might be, they all have common threads in terms of their understanding of the world, in spite of the, the geographical distance. And she said, that's because we all come from the same place. Um, I, I, I want to pick up on what you said about doing good, uh, and, and especially when it, when it comes to these nested um, uh, systems or levels within the systems, whereas, whereas uh, Arthur Kostler would say the, the, the whole on, um, and this idea of a uh, of, of we are one level within a bigger system and as well as we are made ourselves of, of, of smaller systems. One of the things that strikes me about people who want to do good is that while they are altruistic at one level and maybe rise to the next level, there's, there's oftentimes danger because everybody wants to do good and then they gather in these groups and in these factions and then start to collide at the faction level, at the country level, at the group level. Maybe it's somebody who, I mean, people who support Trump and people who support Biden or whatever, both of them want to do good, but then they don't see themselves as being part of a bigger system. How do we get through this idea that really to do good sometimes at a higher level does harm? How, how do we move and navigate beyond these real dangers? I think we've split the world apart through the specializations of the, the, the knowledge disciplines um, through science, through the reductionist method, through through metaphors that that I still to this day, even even with the most well-intended people trying to make a well-intended point, stuck in mechanistic metaphors that continue to keep people trapped in an understanding that is is sort of of wholeness that is additive. Like the whole is the sum of its parts. That the whole is more than the sum of its parts in, in a simple way. And, and, and it's exactly in the relationships that this larger new can unfold. And, and I think that as human beings, if we don't find 
the higher ground of understanding that we need to ally with life rather than with the human species. We need to retell our story in that, that holarchic thinking, like even the holarchic thinking can be misunderstood. It's, it's the paradox of being a part and being the whole expressing itself through that part. That, that is, is, is interesting. We're both the, the small, humbled, embracing our not knowing participant in a vast conscious universe. And we are that conscious universe manifesting through, through, through us. And, and in that space, which again, there, is, there are ways in pretty much all the mystical traditions of the world's religions to find that insight. If, if we can align ourselves with life, then we can find that higher ground. And then serving life is ultimately what is the, the arbiter of, like, how do we do good? Uh, of course, it's, it's, it is constantly difficult to not do good in one place and, and create bad somewhere else. Uh, and it happens a lot with, with kind of supposedly green, clean technology. Uh-huh. Um, but that's that's why I think so much about the healing is about coming home to place, about re-inhabiting, about finding deeper connections of, of meaning with neighbors, community, and region, not even country, because all those lines on the planet we're used to from a kind of Mercato projection map of the different nations. They're all straight lines and they were drawn by the ruler of a ruler. But the the true re-inhabiting of the human species coming back home into life as a regenerative healing keystone species in the ecosystems we're affecting, which is all of them, that would redraw that map a bit more like this, this wonderful map that the, the um, Hungarian um, cartographer Robert Zooks made of, of just colorful representations of the world's river systems across the planet in different colors. And it's a beautiful map. And, and but that's a biophysical map. That's a map that, that actually shows a biophysical reality of watersheds within which people have found their sustenance over, over most of our species history. And of course, there are now 8 billion of us, close to 8 billion. And, and we need to transform cities. And I'm, I'm not promoting any kind of back to the golden past of only a few of us living in the prairies. Uh, um, but there is a deep wisdom of how to live in place. There is a, is a way of healing the relationship between cities and the hinterland, which made Trump post- possible. And is, is, is one of the big time bombs in America, which could become the same for Europe if we, we don't watch out, is how do, we, how do we don't let rural populations feel disenfranchised, but actually understand that the two have important things to give to each other and create deeper, more circular, regenerative economic patterns between cities and their region and, and begin to re-regionalize production and consumption to 70, 80% of most of the things that circle, but then not 
present all this massive transformation as a kind of we need to relocalize and the global economy is bad and never talk about it again, which is the problem that we tend to swing in pendulums. No, of course, we need maybe a massively reduced but vital 20% of global trade and, and even possibly mining for a few decades to enable bioregional circular economies to actually regroup around making social and ecological and economic restoration and regeneration in that region the entire proposition of the economic activity in the region and and, and making the the bioproductivity and the increase of bioproductivity of of fixing current solar income into soils biomass and and vibrant ecosystem make that the the measure of success and all of this sounds utopian, but what we've got is dystopian and we've designed it. We chose to do it that way. We can choose to do it differently. And the, but, but we can't solve the global problems. We can only begin to create the processes by which we do it all locally and then support each other between regions to do it at that regional level. I mean, that, at least that's what I think. I mean, of course, that's just one perspective. <laughs> And, and one of the things about schools that we see a lot is this desire to build global citizens. Now, it's not it's not uh, mutually exclusive to, to 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 want to develop local economies and 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 work on on the local biophysical um, connections and interconnections of of people there. So they're not mutually exclusive. But if you're looking at a window of say 10, 20, 30 years in order to maybe redress this imbalance or make it more community based. What is the role of schools? How could we get the generation that's coming into schools ready for this kind of mentality, ready to embrace this approach, ready to, to, to see more value in the community? How do we work at it for kids who are, say, 5 to 18, maybe eventually more, maybe schools eventually become you know, transgenerational? But what do you see the, the problem with schools now Maybe, and I know we're going to say we're not solutions orientated, but but maybe some of the possible pathways that schools might have in in the near and, and maybe farther future. Yeah, I mean the whole need to fundamentally redesign education away from something that happens in the first third of your life, and and then you're full. You've got all the all the information you needed and you'd all the skills you needed and out there and go and do for another third of your life and then then you retired for another third. That was always not true for most people. Um, it's only been true for a few privileged ones for a few generations. And um, and I think we we definitely need to reinvent how education is done in a transversal way over. over throughout an entire lifetime. But I think I would say the same thing that I, I say to universities. I think um, the way to reintegrate and make meaningful the wealth of knowledge that set the story of separation and, and science and technology and, and all of that has brought us is to apply it to a place and a region and to make students as early as possible learn in service too. Um, like the, the, the old phrase of you, you won't 
learn something until you have to teach it. Build that into the school system in a way that there's there is a structured peer mentoring process that that engages and breaks open these age groups and and so on. Um, build it into particularly if you're in a privileged school into a kind of peer mentoring between a privileged school and a not so privileged school in in the same same area. But the whole thing is, to my mind, needs to be centered around from the earliest on all the way to university, ask people who are passionate about their story, literature, science, or any of the sciences, whatever, and to see, go, go ahead, specialize, dive, take a deep dive, be an international contact, do all of that. But what's the worth of it if you can't turn the lens of your story to this place, to this region? And what can you tell us about this place? And imagine if schools were bioregional learning centers, if universities were bioregional learning centers, that, that, that tried to make sure that the public who's already left that schooling process always has a place where they can continue learning the sciences and the new insights, but in relevance to their place. It, it, it's just so much more relevant to everybody if, if it's applied to place. And so, so I think that, like the, the wonderful work that Fritjof has done through the Center for Eco-Literacy, Fritjof Capra, um, with, with the American K-12 curriculum um, and, and using a, just some, something as simple as a school garden. Um, but then really going through that entire curriculum and, and matching the activities in maths and chemistry and physics with what you can do with a bunch of peas and a bit of soil and and like in the garden yeah? and, and making it easy for the teachers who are stressed already and finding it hard to cram new stuff yeah? to, to just, oh, wow, somebody's done it for me. Excellent. This is fun. And I'm going to be outside in the garden instead of in the classroom again. And they kind of glaze over. And so, so yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a massive potential for schools to, to also I mean, I'm learning it now that I started late on the journey of being a father and my, my wife and I have a, a four-year-old daughter and she's just starting that journey. Um, and it's such an equalizer. It's where everybody comes together around the school. So the school has a huge potential. Like if, if regenerative cultures are born out of living the questions together about how can we participate appropriately in this place, how can we be of service to ourselves, our families, and this place, and the planet, then, then what better place is there than a school to start that conversation? And one of the things we talk about, which seems to be in line with, with what you're saying, or at least um, uh, have strong parallels, is this idea of, of, of impact, of contribution, which is something that, that you brought up earlier as well, that what we learn in school has to be actioned. Otherwise, it's just content in your head. And the action should be if we talk about the moral compass that you brought up as well, perhaps towards con contributing to, 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 to the earth, to, to other people, to ourselves to a large sense, because we could be regenerative of ourselves, but it can't just be about um, uh, you, even, even skills and content. It has to have a purpose, or rather the purpose may be life itself, but making sure that we continue to feed into that. Um, how do you feel about this idea? And, and Carol Sanford brought, brings this up as well, that maybe it's, it is because it's solutions oriented, but we shouldn't necessarily 
like try to have a collective purpose, but we should let purpose come from life because life has purpose all by itself. It, it's, it's something I'd love to have your views on because I'm, I'm trying to figure that out myself and trying to make sense of it all. Well, what's your opinion on that? If, if I throw that you were, I don't know if, if, you, if you've heard what Carol has said. For me, it's if we really stop the way that in language we hold nature as other from culture and we really try to humbly look at the mess we've created, the Anthropocene, and, and understand that we shouldn't get super excited about the Anthropocene. It's like it's it's the death straw of humanity and the planet. We need to get out of the Anthropocene as quickly as possible, back into the Ecozoic or whatever you want to call it. But but what it needs is us really understanding ourselves primarily as life and expressions of place and of ecology again, to, to not feel separate from from the wider context that we depend upon, but feel to, to begin to understand our the, 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 the myriad of interdependencies inside on, of us and outside of us. I mean, the, the fact that both you and I have more non-human cells in our body than, than we have human cells. Like we don't get taught this in school. This is, it's, it's a mind blowing insight. Huh? The, the way that even, even also things like, like the, literally our cells are made out of stardust. Uh, these, these are ways of connecting us to a story that is so much larger than ourselves. And, and I think um, that can be done in, without a purpose, like without a banner to say, we're now all coming together around this. Uh, um, no, we're just coming home to life. And if we really take that serious, and if, if all we're doing is to listen to place, listen to life, listen to each other because the others are alive too yeah? um, then then we start a process of learning and regenerating that is sourced out of place and out of community and is meaningful and is generating context and shared meaning and and i think that's what that's what we need and the beauty is like that's why i i had my little quips with with the folks from extinction rebellion like i was in excited and and i even afterwards remembered that they even asked me whether they could use regenerative cultures as one of their 10 principles and whether it would make sense to not use it with any attribution and i said yeah yeah absolutely much better than like don't 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 start naming some guy but but they changed it from regenerative cultures plural to regenerative culture singular and, from, and, and they collapsed it into just the social dimension, the, the, the how do we get on with each other, how do we keep learning, how do we, which is super important. And the, 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 the kind of inner dimension of the, the activist transformation journey. And I think regenerative cultures is so much more. It's, it's all of that. It's us re- realizing that in each place, if you look closely enough, there have been people and organizations and associations and businesses and and you name it, working towards a common good, towards a better future, towards a better place. And what we need to do is to need to bring all of them into a narrative that sees that the guy who works with old people and the guy who works with handicapped people and the people who work with 
orphans and the people who work on ecological agriculture or regenerative agriculture, they're all part of the same process and they're all important. But we've, we've sort of separated them because we're, we're looking through the world through, through the silos of our education system that we've been taught. And so even those people doing this good, good work don't understand that what, what their recycling furniture a third time by making it available to people working with handicapped people has to do with regenerative cultures and somebody else's work on protecting the Balearic seas here on, on, on my island. Yeah? But to my mind, what we need now is, is to show that there is a healthy system already there, but we need to make it visible and we need to make it talking to each other and we need to make it bigger, more important, more meaningful than the story that, that you get through Netflix. Um, which is, it's all about my, my, my child needs, needs to be a global citizen. He needs to have studied in at least three different continents by the time he's 21. And uh, why? Uh, um, like some people will choose that path, but if you teach people a meaningful relationship to their place and a way to get information from anywhere, then, then maybe like, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation of how, how do we change education, work, and travel at the same time. Because tourism is deeply unsustainable, but travel is about the most enlightening thing that, that humanity has going for it. So, so how, how, how do we, how do we invent, reinvent around those three? And that is a, a whole new conversation, but one that's absolutely fascinating. I mean, that's this, this idea, and, and it's funny you say that because I remember I was, uh, it was a couple of summers ago, I was in Prague for the first time, and you go to Prague, and it's a very beautiful city, gorgeous architecture, it's a beautiful day, but you don't meet a single Czech. It's, it's, it's nothing but tourists, and, 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 and it loses, you know, when you're in the center, it loses not just authenticity, but you're thinking, gosh, this place is just being, and, and I feel, I feel for, the, for the Czech people who have lost their city as well. Yeah, I have a, I have a friend, I have a friend who's, who's very Mallorcan, um, and, and he leaves in July, on a boat towards the Aegeus, sailing around the islands of the Aegeus, and he comes back at the end of September. And, and he works extra hard the rest of the year to make that possible, but he simply cannot stand being on Mallorca for those busy tourism months in the summer. It's, it, it, it hurts him physically to basically witness the island being raped by the masses. At the same time, how wonderful is it that we can understand each other through travel, through tourism, through exposure, um, and th 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 there is a tension there, but not wanting, as you say, to, to rape. And, and you look at, for instance, in, in, in Cambodia, not so far from here, Angkor, so many visitors, the, 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 the temples are, are, are ruined because of, of simple footsteps and, and, and so much traffic. Um, but at the same time, how wonderful it is to be able to access that part of history and culture. Um, extremely complicated, not just complex, but complicated um, conversation. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you um, right now, what, what book or books are you reading currently? Don't ask that somebody like you. <laughs> I've got loads of them lying around here. But actually the one that, that, that is the most recent one that just arrived yesterday is a wonderful book. Um, it's only in Spanish and um, in Catalan at the moment. It's called Semillas. And, and the, the, under, the subtitle is called 
Somos la regeneración, we are the regeneration. And then another subtitle is Otro Mundo Ya Existe, Another World Already Exists. And, and this, is a, this is a collection of essays, and quite a lot of essays. I don't know, I mean, it's like basically it has sort of um, individual change, the local and the collective, saving the planet, art, science, and education, economy and justice, the rural and the, the urban, agroecology and food, and a closure. Uh, so you can see it's 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 massive. It's it's it really paints the big canvas, but it paints it through a short contribution by somebody who's already doing something real in that place that that is a is a, is living a different reality in and it's all around the, the, the like Spain mainland uh, and it's it's lovely. It's really lovely. They, they they invited me to to write the one of the first like sort of just after the introduction and sort of what is regenerative culture. And um, and I've just seen the other contributions, and it's it's really beautiful. I just also wanted to I can't kind of do, do the book questions without this one. The computer was on. The, the computer was on it, so, so I couldn't find it for a second. Jeremy Lenz, um, the the Web of Meaning is is a wonderful book, and and so was his previous one, The Pattern and Instinct, and and. He always knew it's going to be a, trio, a, a trilogy. So there's one more coming, and and there's a there's a lovely conversation on on YouTube that I did with Jeremy. If you if you're interested, yeah. excellent. I would do. He was a guest on our podcast as well, um, and I picked up Web of Meaning, and it was absolutely fantastic. And my wife is reading it now, and she's very inspired too. But you, you asked me a question. You asked me a question about what what am I doing? What's current? What's on your mind? What what are things that you're thinking about? Uh, plans that you have, things that you're doing, uh, things that uh, that get you um, uh, feeling. What, what, what's next uh, on the horizon for you? So is that dance of um, do I walk the path of path of opportunity or do I walk the path of intention? And one of the the joys of having had some sort of impact with with my work is is that opportunities are speeding up faster and faster to the point that it's becoming a bit tedious to even have to politely answer because I can't do them um, and and it can lose like over all the interesting stories that other people are working on which are wonderful it can lose the kind of focus on wait a minute what what, what is my creative um, development and journey and what am I working on really and so so I'm, I'm currently grappling a little bit of how to find the right um, energetic balance between that of of uh, not blanket not being of service and not being available but also finding a way of of actually getting on with the stuff that I, I want to do and and that's on the one hand more reading and writing but on the other hand the complete opposite. I'm working on a piece of land and I'm out on the field every day doing physical work, regenerating soil and, 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 and planting a forest garden. And I'm I'm trying to work with my neighbors of trying to create a micro cooperative on renewable energies. And that is very much at the beginning. But if we start that journey, that's a huge piece of time. And, and then I also want to do a lot more work on the bioregional work here on, on Mallorca. And so it, I'm sort of at an inflection point also because my daughter is still very young where I, I want to pull away and allow myself a couple of years less glow in the conversation and, and more focused on, on things in front of me. And, 
and all of that is is kind of my own process of learning of of this this wonderful term that that is kind of seems to be a keynote at the moment for 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 where I'm at in my life. Um, Gary Snyder's term reinhabitation. Um, how how do we become place again? How do we come home to place? Like there's so so many simple questions you can ask yourself about the place you live in where you very quickly go, oops, I don't know that much about this place. Like, when do the first migratory birds come and when do they leave? Uh, and what, who are they? Uh, name five native species. Um, simple things like that, like really learning the detail, like this, this shift that I'm now seeing that I'm taking care of land, of walking or driving through landscape and not seeing just trees, but seeing what trees I see uh, and and suddenly there's this like everything opens up in a new brilliance and a new detail uh, as you focus in what you've got in front of you rather than the two-dimensional screen that I am focused on far too much of the time <laughs> thank you so much really appreciate your time uh, and, and really um, your, your, your perspective and, and and getting us to think about um, really what it is that to be biocentric ecocentric um, rather than anthropocentric, and, and those are very labels, right? Um, but, I, but I really appreciate your, um, your, your the, the way you've, you've moved my thinking and, and hopefully those of our listeners. Thank you so much. It's a lovely conversation. <laughs> this has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. Thank you so much for listening. Our next guest will be Andres Roberts of the Bioleadership Project. Again, someone with tremendous insights into regeneration and education and leadership. Um, we look forward to hearing from you. We look forward to having you subscribe, leaving us a rating. You can check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. Um, and of course, we are in partnership with Intrepid Ed News. Um, leave us a comment. Find us on LinkedIn. And in the meantime, if um, you've got anything on your mind, uh, yeah, just drop us an email. All right, speak to you soon. Bye.